we will. As I, I mentioned a little while ago, we are, are concluding our series on peace today, but that doesn't mean we're done with peace, right? We, we need peace, and we need a peace that's not uh, just going to show up in, or in, in little spurts. We need a peace that we exist with. So the title for today is A Peace That Perseveres. And moms, I think of you in this category because you're always needing peace when you think of your children. You stay up late at night. You are awakened at night and you carry the burdens during the day. You carry the burdens of your children uh, and you need a peace that perseveres when you think about them and you have concerns and worries and what about this and what about that and no matter what age they are, I know you carry them in your heart as if you, you've not done enough to be enough of a mom to them. I know that's a common fear, but you need a peace that calms that chaos in your soul. And I believe for all of us, we need a peace that perseveres. You know, we have it, and Mark uh, he quoted a verse earlier on peace from Isaiah that I, I don't think has shown up in my notes during this series. There, there's a lot of peace that we can study in the scriptures, and I want to encourage you to do that. What we believe is we're just looking for the, God, what do you want to show us and tell us right now in this moment? And that's why we put together the, the series like it's come together in order for us to have an understanding of in our, in our day right now, what do we need to do to trust the Lord to experience his peace. And I trust that he has been doing that. Uh, we want all to experience his peace. So I'm grateful uh, those of you who have emailed or texted and just let me know that these messages are, are, are helpful to you. They're made encouragement to you. We want this to last, right? We want it to keep on going and not just be something that's uh, here today and gone tomorrow. But we're going to, uh, the verse that's going to uh, encapsulate i got a lot of verses on peace in this message, but the verse that we're going to begin with that encapsulates this study on peace, the peace that perseveres, is Paul's prayer for the Roman Christians that really has been my prayer over the past several weeks for you, for our church, for everyone that I, I love so dearly. And God's word says this, and remember, this is a, a quick prayer that the Apostle Paul is giving, but it's Holy Spirit inspired. So the Holy Spirit wrote that so we can learn from it and understand how, one, our prayers need to be informed, but what, God's is seeking to, what God is seeking to do in us through those prayers. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Where we ask that we would experience a peace that stays with us, please, that perseveres, that, that we don't wait to experience your peace within a storm, but we have your peace before the storm. We have your calm before the storm, the calm that you want after the storm we experience before it even happens, so we can experience it within it. We ask for your illumination, Holy Spirit, amen. You know, this verse uh, is, is a pastoral prayer, and that's why it's been, it's been my pastoral heart for you in praying this prayer. And it seems fitting as a summation of our, our little 
study on peace. And notice the sequence of this verse. God fills. God's the one giving something. He fills with joy and peace. And it's intertwined and connected with faith. God fills. There's a faith in our response that leads to an experience. God, faith, life. The power of the Holy Spirit is our experience with hope. God wants us to live with Jesus' resurrection life every day. And he supplies the Holy Spirit to make it a reality. Our response of faith is crucial to our experience of his peace. As we believe what Christ has secured for us, we then experience what God has promised to us. When when we believe what Christ has secured for us, we experience what God has promised to us. Faith leading to the experience of the promise. To the degree we are convinced of our redemption through Christ is is the degree to which we will see Christ. So when we are convinced and, and the matter is settled in our hearts that we have been redeemed by Jesus and we trust it completely, not based on our works, but on his grace and on his work in our place as our sacrifice, then, as we believe that to the degree we believe and we're convinced deep down, soul deep confidence, then we'll see Jesus. And we don't tire when we look at Jesus because you can't get bored when you look at eternal life. We get bored with stuff around us because it just fails. It ends. Eternal life never ends. Jesus in his infinity, God in his infinitude, he never ends. So we can't tire or get bored of seeing Jesus. And our experience of greater degrees of glory that the Apostle Paul talks about at the end of 2 Corinthians uh, 3 and then into chapter 4, this, this looking at Jesus, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. It frees us from the pull of our affections to this world. This world is looking to capture our affections and draw those affections out from us away from God. We only have a limited amount of affections. It's not like we have, and and, and as God's people in Scripture, as well as in our experience today, we think we can love God and we have all this affection for Him, and then we can love something else, and, and we have enough affection for everything. We don't. We don't have enough, of, we, we don't have limited scope of affection. So if, if all of our affection is this big and half of it goes to God and half of it goes to something else, you know what Jesus says about that? You're fooling yourself if you think that, that you have half that's going to God. Really, all of it's going to what you're worshiping. All of it's going to what you want and craving. Or all of it is going to God. You can't serve God and stuff. We, we have a limited amount of affections. And we, we feel that pull all, all day, every day. We feel that wandering. But when we experience Jesus, look into his face, and we're transformed from one degree of glory to another, we, we, our affections are withdrawn from the world to be able to be placed on Jesus, to be placed fully on God, to soak in the glory of Jesus. We struggle to maintain our experience of the promises of God because Jesus hasn't returned yet. We're still in broken bodies, fallen bodies, uh, wandering minds. We, we struggle. We struggle in our minds. We struggle to maintain faith, to experience peace 
because Jesus hasn't come back. We live in a now experience of God's promises as we anticipate the not yet of all of the future fulfillment of every one of those same promises. See, we experience today a foretaste, a glimpse of what will be the reality in heaven. And when we experience that transformation, one degree of glory to the next, we're actually experiencing more and more of heaven. That's why the peace of heaven, when we experience it, becomes more of our reality. It becomes more of our everyday life. Our struggle in the now is really a battle to keep our minds and hearts on God in faith. Consider what the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah's got some great, great verses on peace. He says, Isaiah 26, 3, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Oh, don't you want perfect peace? Ooh, perfect, complete peace. Yes, that's what we're going for. But in this life, our minds wander. Our faith stumbles, making our experience of peace intermittent here and there. All of us desire the calm seas. We want peace, be still, that Jesus says, and we just get to relax and say, yes, now we're at peace. But we know storms come. Storms, you might be in a storm right now, or a storm will come. And, and we say this kind of, we're just waiting for the, things are going too well right now, waiting for the other shoe to drop, and something's going to go bad, like this yin-yang thing, this karma, that everything needs to balance out. It's a, wrong, it's a wrong perspective to look at this. What we're doing is saying, I want a peace that's so, uh, my soul is so saturated with this peace that when the storm comes, it doesn't rattle the peace, but it makes me aware and, and empowers me to walk through that storm because I recognize that Jesus is with me. And the Holy Spirit, is His power is upon me. His anointing is upon me. But well, we have need in this life of endurance. The writer of Hebrews, he connects endurance to receiving the promises. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. See, there's an obedience. God... Faith, life experience. That's the way uh, Romans 15, 13 sets it up. So listen, we have, uh, God has promises for us. We've got to trust him. And there's an endurance in that trust. There's a keep on trusting me that God is telling us in order for us to experience what he has promised. See, we've, we've been promised it. We don't have to obey to get the promise. We obey to experience the promise because he's already given it. See, the Christian life, uh, you look in Scripture, especially in Hebrews, uh, the Christian life is described in active terms, like walking and running. Our question then is this, how do we live in active peace in our walks of discipleship so the peace is with us before the storms? Here's our, our big thought answers that question. We trust God's sovereignty over the shaking of our lives, so our hearts are settled on the preeminence of Jesus for us to shine with the Spirit. We trust God's sovereignty because there's a shaking, and then Hebrews 12 brings that up. We're going to look at that. There's a shaking of our lives. What we're, this unique season that we've been living in is a shaking of our lives. Moms, when, when your kids make bad decisions, there's a shaking that goes on in your heart, and you feel that. 
job changes and, and economic changes. Those are shaking things that capture our attention. But God is sovereign over all of those. Remember, we looked at he was sovereign over the storm that happened that revealed to the disciples that they, need, they needed Jesus' peace. They needed to recognize who he was with them. There is a sovereign shaking that occurs in order for our hearts to get settled on Jesus rather than trying to get settled on some shifting sand, uh, a shifting foundation that's just built on sand in order for us to shine with the Spirit. Now let's, let's consider what this sovereign shaking means. This unique season of our lives, we have to remember, has ultimately been brought about by the providential hand of God. No matter what's happening, God's ultimately in control. For the unbeliever, we trust he's convicting the world and he's convicting the unbeliever concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, the role of the Spirit that Jesus said he would do in John 16, 8. We know he's saving many. We trust he is saving many through this pandemic. And we look forward to hearing, even if it's in heaven, we hear how God used this. We look forward to that. That's for the unbeliever, for the believer, We know and we trust he is refining faith so the clutch of our hearts, the grip of our hearts is is released from the world so we can grip the eternal and be strengthened in this life. So my question is this, are you paying attention to what God is doing in you? Are you paying attention to what God's going after in your heart through all of this? Or are you just looking for it all to be over and just get back to life like you want it? We've all seen how we all thought what was predictable and sure becomes unhinged and halted. No matter where our our opinions fall on whether this has been an over-response or what's been necessary for this in this season, no matter where we fall on that, everybody has stopped, right? Everybody stopped. And God has brought about that stoppage. See, I I have been struck by the fact that when we communicate with one another through technology or maybe seeing somebody in the store but uh, six feet away, maybe eight, 16 feet away, when we ask one another, how are you doing? Nobody's saying they're busy. And I think we need to pay attention to that. This church, dear friends, God brought about a stoppage in our lives to show us we were too busy, period. We, we should be able to live life and not be busy. We should be living under a kingdom priority that looks like we are faithful with the time that we've been given not succumbing to the time with busyness. God has brought this season about. Are we paying attention to what God's going after in our hearts? We've all learned we can live without many of the activities that we thought were essential and that we were running back and forth to. We, we learned we can live and we don't have to have all that activity to feel like we're living. Well, everybody else is busy, so maybe I should just create more things to do. 
We learn we can work in different ways and still accomplish the same things. But church, there's a warning within the lesson that God's teaching during this season. He wanted us to stop because he, he wants us to feel what Sabbath rest, uh, rest, what Sabbath rest really is. See, what people have said during this time is, I've enjoyed being home. We've, we've done things that we've never done before in terms of just finding a trail to go walk on, or we just take nightly bike rides, or we just, we have time together. That's crucial. And that's a lesson that God wants to teach us to hold on to, to make a new habit, I believe, to make a new habit. But listen, we need to pay attention because within the lesson is a warning to not forget the lesson, to not look past the lesson or to ignore what God wants to say. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 29, says this, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the people of Israel outside of, uh, right at Mount Sinai. When Moses is up there giving the Ten Commandments, he's saying, God's revealing himself and he's telling the people, make sure you don't refuse this, which they ultimately did because they went and threw their gold together and created a calf. Now, verse 26, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We have to work backwards to really capture what's going on here. In this sovereign shaking, we learn God is a consuming fire. And he needs to be taken seriously by us. He means what he says. We cannot take him lightly. He pursues us to reign over us. And we must recognize how he will consume everything in order for him to reign over our hearts. Then we find out, uh, we, we, we learn that there is a priority for kingdom life. God shakes our lives so we will prioritize kingdom life. We'll need to keep, after all this is done, this season, no matter how long it goes for, we'll need a fight to keep what we learned was essential. We'll need to make sure that our priorities reflect a kingdom life. God also shakes off the temporal, man-made, and the unstable. He removes the substitutes, the man-made things that we oftentimes look for rather than to Him. He removes idols from our hearts. He also... He refines us to reveal what is eternal and God-made and stable. He refines us so the kingdom will will, will be revealed. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's there's a reality of kingdom life that he wants to And he reminds us, we saw this last week uh, in Psalm 25, he reminds us of the new covenant and what we have in our relationship with him. And he says, you've got an unshakable kingdom. 
That's what we live for. God lovingly shakes off the unstable to make way for his stable kingdom. So his peace will then be unhindered in our experience. It won't be intermittent. It'll be stable. Now, what, what has been shaken in your life that you recognize now? Because you have to do this homework. What is non-essential and what is essential? And are, uh, are you looking to keep those things or just enjoying this? I'm just enjoying what we have because I know this is going to last forever. Some things should be lasting. And some things we should be doing uh, hard work on to make sure they last. Uh, particularly with family togetherness. Family units being together like this. Now, there are mountains and hills that God removes. We build things and we work toward things. Maybe it's success in a job place. Maybe it's financial security. Maybe it's a relationship you haven't been around. We look to these things and they build, but God shakes them away. Why? Look at what Isaiah says. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. But God says, my steadfast love shall not depart from you. His love is essential, not the mounds that we build thinking they're going to give us significance and ease and control. My steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Listen to what God is saying. My covenant of peace is yours, and I'm going to protect it by shaking off everything that you're looking to, all the cravings and fleshly desires that you think are going to give you the peace that you long for that only I can provide. I'm going to shake those things off because I love you. And we have to trust he's been doing that. He's been doing that with our lives, and we need to work hard to make sure that we understand what he's shaking that needs to fall off and be removed in order what he has will remain. But we need to heed the warning, church. Don't refuse him who is speaking. We need to learn the lesson. Listen, if there has been more, uh, more complaining and murmuring about what's going on, you're not, le- you're not learning the lesson. Just look at the people in the Old Testament. Uh, God's people delivers them out, out of Egypt. Mount Sinai, big, huge things. Mountains are shaking. God is revealing his power. And then everybody just goes off into the wilderness. Wow, God, you're great. We're going to serve you. Oh, let's first make a golden calf. Oh, then let's complain about we don't have any food. We don't have any bread. This water is bitter. They weren't learning the lesson. So God said, okay, this is a stubborn generation, and you're going to have to die off because you just won't learn the lesson. I'll give it to your children. They'll learn the lesson. But we know the lesson is heart deep. We've got to learn the lesson. So if there's complaining and murmuring, uh, you have to question whether you really learn it. Because here's the reality. Jesus comes to us and he says, I want you to return to me, your first love. He said that to the church in Ephesus. He says, you know what? You're doing great things. And, and the form of what you're doing is great, but there's a heart disconnect. You're not loving me. And so all the fruitfulness that we're doing could be undercut because our hearts are not connected with Jesus. We, in this shaking, God is calling to us. Return to me. 
return to your first love and be, be at peace, be secure, be safe in, in our relationship with him in order for us to experience his life. So we need to recognize the sovereign shaking that God does and will continue to do. And then we have to settle something in our hearts about the preeminence of Christ. Rather than settle for temporal, man-made, unstable grasp for peace, we need to settle our hearts on kingdom life and kingdom peace. So it's making a determined, uh, it's a determination beforehand. This is what I'm going to do in order to experience peace. That's part of what faith is. It's making, uh, just deciding, God, I trust you. No matter what my feelings and affections are telling me, I trust you. There's first a settled pursuit I believe we need to have. We're not pursuing objects. We're not pursuing comfort. We're not pursuing control over situations. We're pursuing Jesus. And I love the story of the woman who presses through the crowd to get to Jesus. May we be, as he tells her, go in peace. This is the peace we want. So how do we get it? We go, we determine to go after Jesus with everything we are. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. There's a crowd and a throng where everybody's bumping up against one another. And this woman went through, she's actually, she it was technically unclean, which meant she had to walk down the street and say, shout, unclean, unclean, so people would social distance from her and stay far away to not get any disease, uh, perhaps, that she was carrying. And she, she's ignoring that and saying, I've got to get to Jesus. She, she presses through. It's not just kind of like this nonchalant, as he's walking by, grab his garment. She's, she's determined, pressing through, going through a crowd, pushing, shoving, and she touches him. Now, everybody's touching Jesus, but one touch captures his attention. It's a touch of faith. And he says to her, this is interesting, daughter. He gives her an identity based on her faith. He knew power had gone out from him. And he then he recognizes the faith is, is, was in her identity. And now she has the experience, the promised experience of go in peace and experience your healing. Church, we have to pursue really well. And we need to have a settled pursuit. No matter what happens, 
I'm pursuing Jesus. Period. Exclamation point. I am pursuing Jesus. And I'm not going to let my affections get in the way of that and trick my mind into thinking that really God's not going to be there for me. He doesn't have all my best interests in mind. No, he does, and he's, he's good, and he will give us that good. So we need to have a, a settled pursuit, but we also need to have a settled mindset. Romans 8, verse 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Our battle for faith is in everyday, uh, in everyday circumstances is often waged with the habits of our minds. The habits of our minds are what we keep on thinking over and over and over again. And we have to recognize whether we're, we're thinking about truth or we're thinking about falsehoods. Half-truths are falsehoods. Our thoughts can more often be on fulfilling and meeting our fleshly uh, cravings rather than how to deny ourselves and serve others. The mind on the flesh is constantly tasting death. And it's, it's, a nasty, it's a nasty taste. But we get used to it. We need to believe rightly. And that happens in our minds. First, we, we need to examine properly. Possibly, we need to examine our lives, our minds, our thought processes, examine those, and maybe help from uh, other pers- others to give perspective. We need to examine properly what's going on in our minds. Jesus said the lamp of the body is the eye. If the eye is dark, the whole body is darkened. There's no light. How great is the darkness, he said. But it, Scripture also says we have the mind of Christ. So we need to operate with it. And we need to see him. Now, that means what, really what we're watching physically matters. And we have to be honoring the Lord in what we're looking at. But if the eye of if the lamp of the body is the eye, if we look to Jesus, then there's great light in us. Seeing Jesus is being adept. We see Jesus as we read the scriptures, but this is what we do. We, we know how to look for and mine the promises of God. All the things that God says he will do for us and to us without our, uh, without our, our, our input or anything. With, I, my mind is just blank at trying to figure out a word for that. You're figuring out ones. So I trust the Holy Spirit's telling you that. We go to the Scriptures And we learn to say, God, what have you done for me that doesn't depend on me? I think that's what I was looking for. What have you done for me that doesn't depend on me? Because that's a promise. It doesn't depend on my performance, but depends on my faith. When we hold to the promises in Scripture, rather than focusing on all the imperatives, the commands that tell us what to do and highlight our performance. See, when we go to Scripture, we are most of the time, especially in the New Testament where a lot of us dwell, we, we will go to the New Testament and we will easily pick up on all the commands of Scripture. Be obedient. Don't do that. Do this. And we walk away thinking, all right, I was reading the Bible and now I have to, do, I have to be a good person. I have to do moral things and I have to make sure I'm, I'm, uh, I'm performing well for God for Him to bless me. We are more in touch with the commands of Scripture than we are when God says, I promise you good, period. In the new covenant, I'll give you my spirit. He'll be in you forever. 
That doesn't depend on us. That's God. We need to learn to mine those out and hold on to those promises rather than focusing on our performance. Because when we focus on his promises, I think that's when we see and settle a fruitfulness in our hearts. We have a settled pursuit, a settled mindset, and settled fruitfulness. God God has given us his spirit to transform us by, by highlighting Jesus in our minds. So his glory will become more of our everyday experience. We often treat peace like it's something we need to acquire. Like, what do I need to do to get peace? But by the Spirit, we already have it. By the new covenant of peace, we already have it. Look, it's given in Galatians 5. It's as the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires, uh, passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and the Holy Spirit, part of who He is, is peace, we have peace. We have it already. We have to trust in what God says about our experiencing of that peace. We're not trying to get the peace. We have to recognize how to experience what already is in us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And keeping in step with the Spirit is recognizing what we already have. We need to be filled with the Spirit so we experience His peace through His powerful presence that is with us. May we learn to thank God rather than complaining to Him thank him for the presence of peace even though our experience of it is waning and intermittent we thank him god thank you for the peace that you have given me in your spirit remind me remind me of the things that are essential remind me so i can experience your peace when we understand his shaking and then settle in our hearts to go after him with everything we are mind and body then we shine with his glory we shine with the power of his spirit romans going back to romans uh, 15 13 paul's prayer may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the spirit you may abound in hope there's there's an abounding there's an abiding and an abounding that we should have that's the shining aspect of who we are as we are god's children and then live for his glory and see jesus more and more when we see christ we'll shine with him The peace of God, it makes room in our hearts for the power of God's Spirit to be active. The Spirit's work reminds us of what Jesus taught, reminds us of what He accomplished for us, so we can set our mission on Him. There's a mission for us that should dwarf all other essential things in our lives. We need the power of the Spirit to to get those kingdom priorities set so we can obey them. Now I'm going to give this. Here's the secret of all secrets. You ready for this? Here's the priority for every one of every Christian's life. Here is the priority from top is most important to less important. Here's the priority list. God, family, church, work. That's the priority. When we begin to take work and put it up here, and we're asking God to bless our work when the priority line is not there, guess what? We're asking him to bless something that he says, I'm not going to bless that. That's not my priorities. See, when we, 
when we set our hearts and affections on him, and, and there's that, uh, that, that giving of the desires of our heart, I think Psalm 37, d- delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's a, a, a molding and fashioning into who God wants us to be so what he wants becomes what we want, not the other way around. We usually go to God and say, God, I want this, and we try to force God into wanting what we want. And he says, no. See, the best thing for you is to want what I want for you. And he gives us a priority. Now, God shut everything down. And I hope we have taken this priority list, kind of reordered our lives, our devotional life. Maybe you're doing devotions and you've never done them before as consistently. Oh, that's something you've got to keep, right? Because you're seeing the Lord. Families together, making sure that things are happening together, eating together. These are the things that God wants us to, to do. Church is the aspect of our relationships with one another. We, by the New Testament uh, definition of the church, we are called to one another, to serve one another, to be comfort and mutual encouragement to one another in order for us to, to look like Jesus more and more every day. We are the church, the, the Greek word for church is called out ones. We are called out and we are God's flock that he puts in a community together. So we are to walk with one another. And that's before work. We see that in Scripture. This is the priority list, and we need the power of the Spirit to help us keep the priority list. But when we want to keep the priority list, we need to surrender to the power of the Spirit. We cooperate with the Spirit to experience His power through our surrender. Colossians 3, verse 15 Again, the Apostle Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. We have Jesus' peace. He says, my peace I give to you. We should let it rule. We need to get out of the way of his reign over our hearts, the peace of Christ. It it then informs all of our relationships and our priorities. We don't have to succumb anymore to the opinions and actions of others that seek to disturb our peace. We don't have to succumb to situations that will disturb our peace. The peace is settled. When we surrender, we experience that peace, and then we shine with it. And then people start saying, how in the world are you so at peace in all of this chaos? Oh, what an opportunity for the gospel then. Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about what he did and what he promised. So we need to have power of the Spirit. We need to surrender to the power of the Spirit. But church, we also need to worship. Worship is a gift to keep Jesus on the throne of our hearts by pouring our affections on him continually. This is what he wants for us. This is the mission he has for us. Kingdom life to experience. So we recognize God, you're in control. Reorder my life so it will be fruitful. And the shining of my life, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's our shining. That's the mission that God has for us. And, And when we're on that mission, all the other priorities, they stay in place. And they're not burdensome. Everything seems to work together because we have, God's, we have Christ's mind to accomplish God's mission, mission, which is exactly what Jesus did. So I, I finished today 
with a prayer that we would experience his presence at all times. The Apostle Paul gave this to the Thessalonian church in closing out the second letter to them. He said, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Moms, I want to pray specifically for you to have the peace of Christ as you sacrifice and you raise your children and you wonder, uh, you struggle with the return that's going to come to you. You struggle with everything that Proverbs 31 says about the perfect woman. You struggle. You struggle to measure up. I would ask that the Lord of peace would give you a settled peace to be able to look to him as you're trusting him with your children. We want to be good stewards as parents. We are good stewards with the time that we have. And we need to make wise choices to make sure that we are effective with those times that we have. The time is short, but it's not, it's not irredeemable. But what we sow today in peace, we wait for the fruit. But we trust God for that fruit. We don't try to squeeze that fruit out. We try to manufacture and make it happen. I want to pray for the moms as we close out our time together.